You may be seated. As David said at the beginning, I'm um, Pete Berg. I'm a pastor at Church of the Cross in Hopkins. We are so excited for Restoration Anglican um, growing here, um, and it's really good to get to be here actually with you all today. And it's my one Sunday this summer. I don't have to be at Cross, and so this is like vacation for me. So don't make me regret it. No, I'm just kidding. I tend to make myself regret things. This is when, the, when David put me under pressure, and he's like, he's a funny person, and just like, I just say dumb things sometimes. Hopefully, I won't say too many dumb things in my message, and I will say, though, just to let you all these, it's not, there's nothing funny in here. I actually didn't write jokes in this one. I'm sorry. So if you have to let the groans out, you know, whatever you have to do, but then we'll, anyway, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this day that we can come together and worship you and come to know you more, uh, just receive from you, and I ask that you help us receive from um, your scriptures and, and just from even the things I say this morning. Just be with us. Amen. So recently I was reading an article. It was about um, especially spiritual life at the Amundsen Scott South Pole Research Station, so a research station in Antarctica. Um, the author was there. It had been him, his, him and his wife's dream to get there, and, and they got to be there for a whole year. Um, and he talked especially then just about his experience of God in the South Pole. Um, in that extreme isolation, and especially um, in many, many months of darkness. Um, I think majority darkness for about nine months of the year, m- only darkness for awful big chunk from there. Um, and as he talked about his experience of God in particular, what actually really ministered to him was that darkness, especially the stars in the night sky. Of course, there almost no light pollution at all. Um, and so the, the, the sky just, the stars seemed more brilliant and more vast and dense than really anywhere else than this author had seen on earth, probably than pretty much anyone had seen on earth. Um, and it was so amazing to him that he would intentionally every day go outside for his work, though he didn't need to. He'd always find a way to go outside for a few minutes, even when it was 100 below, just so he could look up at the stars and just be amazed. And, and then he shared a conversation he'd had with one of the other station workers. Um, that worker, worker was also really amazed by the stars. But as that person looked up at the, stu- the, the sky, um, they explained that they, they felt like it was almost infinite wonder. And to them, that feeling made it just seem absurd that there would be a God who would care about this one small planet amidst all those stars. And especially even more absurd to think that there would be a God who would be concerned with the people on that planet. But the author of that article felt totally the opposite when he looked up at the night sky. And actually gazing out at those wonders made him feel close to God. He said he, he felt God's loving touch every time he could look out at that. And that, those differences in their responses, um, that stuck, it stuck with me quite a bit. It struck me. And I think those differences are in many ways actually um, related to what I'm focusing on today. Uh, you see the title is God With Us for this message. So this, this one person was able to look out at that, the magnificence of the stars and they could think, okay, I can see all that and I can think of a God who is limitless in power and creativity. But that was as far as they could go. The author um, actually could see more, that there was a God of power and creativity, but even then that this God was also a God of unending love and relationship. A God who from the very beginning was glad to focus on that one small, seemingly insignificant planet and even more to love and care about those small, um, insignificant people living on it. The author of that article knows the story, the story of scripture, which is the story of the God who wants to be with us. And that shaped how he could see the stars even in those long months of night. 
So God with us. This is the truth that God is a God of love and relationship. And I think it's one of the most foundational pieces of scripture. It's one of the, the, the key parts of the story. This amazing, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, eternal creator God, this God presents to people at every turn opportunities for relationship with himself. Now, we don't have time to look through all of scripture this morning to consider this, but I'm actually going to start with a quick refresh of some big moments throughout um, the Bible where we see God offering love and relationship to humanity, what that looks like so we can see a bit of his heart. So the story begins in the garden. God created and filled the heavens and the earth, and after that, he capped off his creation project with humankind. They were made uniquely in his image, not only to reflect him in the world, um, but to be able to enter into relationship with him. We don't fully understand what that relationship um, between God and humanity looked like at the time, but we know pieces of it. We see God speaking to them. We see him giving them garden and fellowship, and he gave them meaningful work and purpose, and even walked with them in the cool of the day. But we also know then that that unique relationship was broken. When Adam and Eve chose their own path, they chose themselves over the love and purpose of God, and they were driven from the garden and from that closeness of God's presence. Um, but God doesn't abandon what he started with humanity. Uh, he keeps working. He keeps uh, moving, talking with humans, until he actually begins a project of restoration. That, that word is always in my head now, that restoration angel is here. And it's what he's doing throughout scripture. He's restoring. Um, God was going to fix everything that was lost and broken by sin and death. And to begin that, he starts with another relationship. God calls Abraham to himself out of paganism, out of a foreign country, um, and he brings him somewhere new so that over decades, God caught Abraham to trust in the Lord. Um, and he gave Abraham and Sarah beautiful promises, made a covenant with them. He promised them children that they longed for. And even more, if you were to look at Genesis 17, God promised not just children, but nations and kings would come from them. And, and above all of that, um, God would be their God, not just Abraham and Sarah, but their children's as well. Their blessing and their inheritance would be relationship with God. And God maintained that relationship following blessing, protecting Abraham's family as it grew into a nation and even as they um, eventually were enslaved in Egypt. But when that happened, God remembered his promises. He remembered that relationship, and he called Moses to serve him. And then we hear him promising Moses and Israel um, in Exodus 6. He promises them that, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And by his great power, God does redeem Israel from slavery in Egypt. And then he brings them through the desert to meet with him at Mount Sinai, where God gave them the law. That was, um, they were in relationship with God now, and now they needed to know how to live that out, what it looked like to be and live in God's relationship. So they got that there. But even at Sinai, God's people broke relationship with him, and they would continue doing so for generation after generation. They would turn to God only to turn away again, following sinful desires um, false gods and idols. And in Israel's walk, um, the prophets came, and they called Israel again and again, return to the Lord, mend that broken relationship. They said that God had taken Israel for himself. It was like a, a husband and his wife, but Israel was being unfaithful. So there was a judgment coming. But even as judgment came and went, the prophets also said that there would be a time when God would set things right. 
we see one of those proclamations in our Jeremiah passage. Especially beginning around verse 37, we see God promising to reclaim his people from the nations, to bring them home, give them safety, and he said, they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And finally then, as a culmination of all of God's promises and his longing for his people and all that has happened, um, God becomes human, and he lives among his people. In Jesus Christ, we suddenly are presented a new way to be with God and to have relationship with him because people could look at him, touch him, hear him, um, and all the while they were seeing, hearing, touching God. So in that, Jesus taught about the love of God, his power, his kingdom, and then he was crucified, died, and buried, only to rise again to new life. And in the process, he destroyed sin and death and everything that gets in the way of true and lasting relationship with himself. And then 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascends to heaven. And when he did that, it's in our Matthew reading, he promised that he would always be with his people. To fulfill that promise, he sent his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, to live with his people. And so that as people had had this wonderful, unique relationship with Jesus, um, that relationship would continue. But now it could spread throughout the world to his people wherever they were across the world. All of God's people now in Jesus, everyone who is in Jesus is really in Jesus, and he is in them. We have this unique, close relationship now um, that isn't possible without the Spirit. But even that relationship isn't the finality of God's plans. Uh, What we know and experience now is wonderful. It's very needed for us, but there's still more to come. And for that, we look in our passage from Revelation. This is one of my favorite passages. Um, In this passage, we see John, the author of Revelation, He's, he's explaining this vision of what is yet to come. This is the final outworking of God's victory in Christ. Um, John is gazing at a new heavens and a new earth, and a heavenly city descends from God. And in verse 3, we see God proclaiming. He says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And in that day, God will be fully and utterly with us. We will walk only by his light, and we will even look upon his face. He will be our God, and we will be his sons and daughters. So we began in the garden in this wonderful, mysterious relationship with God. And then through it is, though it is through our own fault that that relationship is broken, God did everything that was necessary to make things right, so that we as God's people can end in this garden city with God in this unimaginably close relationship with him. When we think about all that, when I think about um, God's heart for us, to be with us, um, for me, that really helps me in my own walk, and I hope it does for you in your spiritual walk with Christ. Um, It's important for me to remember, yes, Jesus has died for my sins. He has saved me. And then the question comes, so now what? And the relationship part is to help that. Well, now we grow in Christ. We come to know God more. All of this gives a much deeper, fuller sense. Yes, you have been saved and redeemed, and so now you walk with the Lord. You come to know him more. You put aside things that get in the way. But as I think about that, um, I need more, though, than just this reminder that God wants relationship with us, because relationship can be a pretty broad, vague word at times. I need a real vision for how relationship looks. What is it, more specifically, God is offering to us? Otherwise, Uh, I know myself, I can make things much too me-focused, and that can't work either. That's where our Revelation passage will come in much more deeply. Um, Culturally today, though, um, when I think about that and when I think about relationship, I think about one of the kind of the biggest 
religious trends or movements within American Christianity today. One of the biggest things going on in American, the American church um, among all ages is something that scholars have begun calling moralistic therapeutic deism. Um, that name is designed to describe this core group of beliefs that people now, many people have when they think about God in their lives. Um, there's many parts of it. I'm just going to talk about one of those. One of these big pieces of the system, one of these big problems, there are many problems with it, um, is how people might talk about their relationship with God, um, who could be called moralistic therapeutic deists in their way. Um, they believe about a, in a creator God. They believe that this God, in some sense, um, has a desire for how people should live. They should be good people. Um, but it's that relationship with that God that really comes into this, um, importantly. Um, it's, it's the relationship with God that they think they can have is, is distant and impersonal at best. Really, they would conceive of God in some way as like an estranged but maybe wealthy grandparent. And if you, if you, he's out there somewhere, and if you do things just right, or maybe you can ask for things in a certain way, he might take notice of you and help from time to time. Um, God is in some way a get-out-of-jail-free card in this view. Um, but this God isn't interested in you. He doesn't want to be deeply known. Um, and he isn't asking anything big or challenging or changing of you. And also, this is a very individual thing. It's not about community or other people of God. It's just maybe me and that God. Um, so all that means for them that, yeah, I should try to be a good person. But, but really, ultimately, it's about individual happiness. Nothing should get in the way of me trying to be happy because that's what I can hold on to. And I bring that all up just as a contrast because... That is nothing like the God of the Bible and nothing like the relationship that we are being called to, that he is offering to us. Look again at the Revelation passage, beginning in verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. The future promised to us, the relationship that is ultimately offered us, um, it's not with a distant and unconcerned God. One, it's with one who will dwell right with us who claims us for himself. We will be his people, but also we can claim him for ourselves. He will be our God. But also then notice part of that relationship, its relationship with God and its relationship with each other. It's our God. So he offers us not only himself, but he offers us each other. Together we are God's people. Together we are in relationship with him. It's not an individual reality, something I can just do on my own, we need each other. We are given each other to pursue a relationship further with God. Let's look at verse 4, though, following through the passage. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So not only will God bring an end to all that pains us, to all that disrupts the wonders of his creation, but he will personally be our final comfort. We expect God to be so close to us that he can wipe the tears from our eyes. It is an amazing image of the, the love and intimacy that he is offering to us. And finally, look ahead in the passage to verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. Briefly, the one who conquers, that just means the one who remains faithful to Christ despite all hardships. The one who holds faithful to the end, who conquers... God will be his God, and he will be his son. There's some big cultural differences there. In our context, we can also say um, God would be her God, and she would be her, his daughter. It doesn't have to be just son there. Um, so with this, 
we remember we are together God's people. We can't lose that. But also, God is taking us as sons and daughters. We will not be, we aren't even now simply faces in a crowd. We are deeply known and loved as God's own children. And that gives real definition to what God is offering us, what he is calling us to. Where gods like the one of moralistic therapeutic deism, they leave us isolated with our own happiness only as our goal. The true God who is with us offers us so much more. He offers real and radical change in our lives as he does take away our sins. He gives us his deep love, caring, and intimacy, true relationship with himself. And he even gifts us with a community and a new family. And that gives us direction and purpose for our lives. It gives us a focus. As we live, we aren't setting our focus, our goal, just on ourselves, but on God, on growing in relationship with him and to become more like Jesus. It was about a year and a half ago now that my grandpa, Bud, um, passed away. We'd been quite close, and he was especially excited to see me pursuing ministry. Um, so it was hard when he died. Um, but he did request that I lead his funeral service. And, and, I, and I took that responsibility on gladly. It's a weird thing to be a pastor and say, I do want to do your service. Um, it was a really wonderful service, and it was, it was fun because he had picked many parts of the service ahead of time. He knew it was coming. So scriptures, songs, other things were largely what my grandpa Bud chose. Um, one of the things that he chose as well was at one point in the service, he wanted all of his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren to come up front, and then he asked that we would all sing, Jesus Loves Me. Um, we felt awkward about that um, leading up to it. But at that point in the service, I kind of had a little epiphany. I thought I knew what my grandpa was doing with that. So I told everyone, I think there's two reasons um, why my grandpa Bud wanted this part. First, he really did love his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. He wants to show them off one more time, of course. Um, but much more than that is my grandpa had never gotten over just how amazing Jesus' love was. Um, he wanted everyone to have that opportunity to hear Jesus' love one more time in his funeral when he can make it happen. Um, when I think about my grandpa's life, I am struck by just how he lived his whole life marveling at the love of God, the fact that he could know God and be in relationship with him. Um, so I hope that will be true for all of us. I hope we will all take so seriously this God who loves us and wants to be with us um, that we just have to be changed. We have to live our lives differently. We have to share them with others and that we will just always be amazed, blown away by the depths of his love for us. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for that great love. We thank you for calling us to relationship with yourself and just for um, how amazing that is. I ask that you give us a, a bigger vision of what you call us to, um, that you send us out into this world in, in strength, um, knowing that you want us with you and, and that you just change us in light of that reality. Be with us, Lord. Amen.